Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161AQ77, Crime, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 183, December 14, 1988. This evening, Otto, Scott, and I are going to discuss crime. Now, one of the first things we have to say about crime is that uh, we have a problem today because the definition of crime has been radically altered. At one time, crime was the commission of some act which was a violation of God's law. It was sin. It broke with fundamental order. Now, crime is a violation of a state's law or of a law passed or a regulation by some department of state so that bureaucrats are the main lawmakers of our time. As a result, we have a major problem in our society in that whereas at one time it could be said that ignorance of the law is no excuse, that can no longer be said. When that proverb was coined, it had reference to the Bible. Everybody knew what God's law was. After all, there are only 600-some laws in the whole of God's law. And those laws have a place in human nature. Their character is written in our hearts. God having made us has inscribed his law in our hearts so that we know that certain things are right and wrong even though we hold down and suppress that truth in unrighteousness in injustice. Now, how can you know what the law is? Every day, a library of laws is being created. Today, I had a notice which told me that if I did not post this in our Chalcedon office, uh, I would be guilty of violating a federal law. It was a poster which um, had a great deal on both sides, <laughs> so what side are you going to post? But the gist of it was that I had to make public to anyone working for Calcedon that they could not be subjected to a lie detector test. Now, where is the morality in that law? Uh, I'm letting you know, Otto, that I cannot subject you to a lie detector test, so <laughs> you've got a hold on me now. If you don't see that poster, you can report me. I will. <laughs> well, be sure to go down into the office and look on the back of the closet door. <laughs> I think that's where I shall put it. But you see the point. We have a vast realm of regulations that are now called law that are often meaningless. No 
a person can know all these laws that are passed. And as someone told me a few years ago, it is possible to send anyone in the United States to prison on the violation of some regulation of which he has never heard a word. Well, Otto, would you like to make a general statement by way of beginning? Well, it's, it's very interesting. The, the sign that you referred to reminds me of the sign I saw in the restroom of a restaurant in New York years ago in which it said, it had the sign over the wash basin that said, employees must wash hands. And somebody had written underneath it, thanks that I'll wash my own. <laughs> and this sort of thing is, is uh, as you say, it's an epidemic. Regulations that have the force of law are law by any definition in common English, excepting, technically speaking, their regulations. Mm -hmm. And only a lawyer can see a difference between a regulation and a law as it's applied today. But if we're going to talk about crime, we've got a vast and dark subject ahead of us because I can recall in the 1964 election campaign that one of the platform positions that Senator Goldwater took at that time was the elimination of crime in the streets. And there was an immediate outcry saying that that was a code for racism that it was aimed against black people now even today it shocked me that such an interpretation was not itself immediately labeled as racist but in any event it's put a crimp into the discussion of crime which has existed to this day it inhibited a straightforward examination of the crime situation. Who commits crimes? What crimes do they commit? How many crimes are committed? Against whom are these crimes committed? These are elemental, uh, elementary questions which the statistics do not answer. We do not keep crime statistics in terms of the population. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we are not able to assess who commits most of the crime. There have been efforts made to interpret the statistics, but we're at the mercy then of the interpreters. But let's say that overall, what's the crime situation? Overall, the crime is that in almost every city of any size in the United States, women are afraid to go out at night and many of the men. Well, you know, Otto, speaking of statistics, I've often wondered why men don't uh, start protesting against the sexism of the statistics. Because we're told that the uh, police are being sexist, uh, racist, because more blacks are arrested in some areas for crime than whites. And numerically, they're not in the same number. Well, quite a few times more males are arrested than females. Now, that's sexism. We should have equality in the arrests, arrests of male and female uh, 
person. Well, also, of course, then in the sentences that are handed down. Mm-hmm. Because very often, you know, women are get much lighter sentences than men do, even for the same crime. Mm-hmm. Although they're beginning to engage now, women are beginning to engage in violent crime more often than they used to. The I, a statistic I read very recently, so it's still fresh in my mind, is on the prison population. We have something over 600,000 persons in prison in the United States, which is a very large number. It doesn't compare with the number of prisoners in the Soviet Union. That figure has been estimated at 10 million. But, of course, part of the prisoners there are used for slave labor. Yes. So if part of it is forced labor camps and forced labor projects and so forth. So we don't know whether that actually reflects the amount of crime or not. We do know from television that we see the leaders of the Soviet Union walking out in the middle of a crowd. They're not afraid of the crowd. And we know that our leaders cannot do that, which would give us some index on the situation here. You recall that when Lyndon Johnson was in the presidency and when the campaign escalated against our involvement in Vietnam, that he was reduced to speaking at army bases. He couldn't speak in a public auditorium when he was president. I'm inclined to be suspicious of those pictures of uh, Soviet leaders walking out into crowds uh, I wonder if those aren't uh, carefully chosen bureaucrats. Could be. Because uh, we also read from uh, the accounts of refugees that they travel to and from work in armored cars and the streets are cleared when they're going to go. That's true. That doesn't indicate any trust of the people. Well, you may have a point. But <clears throat> let's go on here. The types of crime. When I was uh, reporting on crime, sadism was the big thing to look out for. The uh, crimes of property didn't generally involve assaults against people. There was a threat in the case of armed robbery, uh, but not so often was it defied. But murder and sadism are, of course, linked together. And there were crimes so horrendous that I won't bother to try to describe them, which, as a matter of fact, were not even printed on the premise that they would provoke imitators. Mm -hmm. There was a series of such crimes, although I wasn't covering it anymore, in San Francisco years ago when I lived there in the late 40s, early 50s. Some individual was killing derelicts, and he was very, whoever it was, was very astute because they always found somebody who had no friends and whose murder would not be noticed for a while. It was accompanied by tortures, and the police spent untold hours trying to track that monster down, and to my knowledge, never succeeded. Deaths never appeared in the press. Now, however, the press seizes upon these things and features them, puts them on film, and in almost every way encourages sadism. 
at the same time that we have stopped the famous third degree in the United States. The police don't beat the prisoners up anymore. And yet the prisoners confess as readily as before because it seems to be a part of human nature that the criminal wants to confess. He wants to tell somebody what he did. And that seems to be uh, in your heart. Very few men can keep anything secret, especially their sins. Well, some years ago in the 50s, Robert Lindner wrote an interesting book, Rebels Without a Cause. I remember it. And uh, to put it in terms of our context in this discussion, what he was calling attention to was that a very sizable percentage of uh, lawless behavior previously had been uh, purposive, to get even with somebody, to get some money, to get a hold of something, take a car, and so on. But now there was a sheer maliciousness and destructiveness, and uh, crime was becoming meaningless. It was crime for the sake of crime. And that indicates that uh, what has happened in the world of art and in other spheres as well is happening also in the world of crime, the triumph of meaninglessness. And that in itself has elements of sadistic overtones. Well, then you're really talking about sin. Yes. And legally, sin is not recognized in the United States today. Uh, there's no statute against envy. There's no statute against pride. There's no statute against gluttony, avarice, or any of the seven deadly sins. There never has been. Never has been. Uh, the church, I think, used to come at it uh, indirectly, though, in the way you treated other people and in the way you conducted your life as, a, as an individual. You had to confess those sins, yes. but you were not penalized uh, in your day-by-day -day life for those things. Okay. The, uh, but this is one of the deficiencies of a law. Of course, we're talking about sins which are, cannot be photographed. They're not, they can't be measured mm -hmm. in weight. The, the logical positivists would say they don't exist, mm -hmm. but they do. Then you have the statutory crimes against theft, murder, and so forth. You also have a whole area of uh, mistreatment of humans by others under the heading of research, experimentation, social science, and so forth, which in my opinion, I wrote about this some time back for the Chalcedon Report, constitute new crimes. I think the drugging of school children on the basis that they're hyperactive, for instance, falls into the criminal category. Uh, active children are always active. They should be active. And if you can't discipline them, there are ways, of course, of arranging that. But to drug them is something else. To tell lies to people under the guise of professional research is another crime. Uh, I remember, and you do too, a very famous experiment where a professor of uh, psychology in, I think, Harvard put 
a battery of electrodes and whatnot and buttons in front of one student and then behind a glass <coughs> panel I had another student in the chair who was asked questions over a loudspeaker. If he gave the wrong answer, the student at the panel would press a pain button to give him an electric shock and the shock would increase in intensity and the student in the chair would rise in pain. Well, most of the students placed at the uh, at the board, so to speak, were willing to push the pain button. And the professor said this proved the tendency of the obedient type of citizen to join in something as evil, let us say, as Nazism, because he would inflict pain, although it's not a good thing to do, on another student when he was told to do so. And I lost a job on that experiment because I was asked what I thought about it by some people who obviously thought it was a very good one. And I said, well, the professor was an authority figure. The student is only a student. He'd never thought, incidentally, the whole thing was a rig because there was no actual electricity involved. The student in the chair was acting, and the student pressing the button didn't know that he wasn't actually causing any pain. Oh, I said, well, here the student was obeying the instructions of an authority figure, a full professor. And who cares what that liar thought about that student? Mm -hmm. Yes. You referred earlier to the seven deadly sins and envy in particular. Now, as we pointed out then, uh, those crimes have never been punishable, but they've been at the heart of religious instruction in the Christian uh, heritage. Well, that's a very important point, because at one time, churches, Protestant and Catholic, uh, preached on these sins, so that you would have sermons. You, you knew they were sins. You knew they were sins. You knew that envy was something you should be ashamed of, that you should seek to weed out of your nature. Now, when you no longer have any teaching on these sins... You don't know what they are. You don't know that they're sins. That's right. And envy now has been institutionalized politically into a virtue. Envy is encouraged. You are expected to be envious of those who have more than you have. And everyone, well, I wouldn't say everyone, but heads nod sympathetically when mm -hmm. you express that envy and yes. say, yes, of course. Well, consider the consequences of that. As I've pointed out more than once, there are 600-some laws in the Bible. A very considerable percentage of those are punishable only by God, not by man. Man is not allowed to get into that sphere and punish what only God can punish, such as envy. But when the church fails to teach and when parents fail to teach that these things are sins, what you do is to erode the spiritual order so that then crime flourishes in the civil and physical order of life, such as theft. Envy, theft. Well, you know, of Envy, course. Envy, murder. Envy 
doesn't even want what the other fellow has. Envy wants to destroy the other man for having it. Yes. And his possessions with him. Right. To destroy the uh, uh, things he has. And that's one of the horrifying things very often about certain hoodlums who break in. Oh, yes. They damage uh, more than they take away. Well, burglars are notorious for defecating before they leave the burglarized premises. They do that customarily, and the better the rub, the more certain they will do that, and other desecrations likewise. Yes. That seems to go with the uh, character of a burglar. A murderer will torture very often. The mafia murders, for instance, are almost always marked by torture. Mm -hmm. The uh, a murder, a mafia murder without torture is, in their in their eyes, a favor because they haven't tortured. There are other characteristics of other types of criminals or other types of crime, but here we have a society which has been assured by psychiatry that there are no sins. Yes. By medicine that there are no sins, because now the American Medical Association and the American Psychiatric Associations have both accepted various perversions as aspects of normality. So in effect, there's no sin there. Now, what is the essence then of criminality? In my opinion, a criminal is a person who has no respect for the rights of others, who feels that he is entitled by his desire to override the rights of all others, up to and including taking their life, taking their property, humiliating them physically, pushing them to one side, destroying their possessions, you can go down the list, and telling lies to them because we are entitled to the truth from each other. Yes. Well, in the development of our modern uh, 20th century scene and the high crime rate, I think there are two steps taken in the uh, academic and intellectual sphere that uh, have contributed tremendously to this development. The first in Freud. Uh, when uh, a mother wrote to him asking if he could cure her homosexual son, he wrote her a sharp letter of rebuke. And he said that the purpose of uh, psychotherapy was not to cure a person such as her son of their condition but to enable them to live with their condition and to understand it and not to be tormented by it. In other words, to continue being a homosexual and enjoying it without guilt. Well, we go back to Jeffrey St. John's definition, which I always liked, that homosexuality is biologically insane. And I think that's true, but it's interesting that you bring up Freud and, of course, the father of psychoanalysis, who was never himself psychoanalyzed, uh, 
is the fitting man to begin the discussion with in this area. What he did was to transfer guilt, as I understand it, from the individual to his parents. Yes, and from a religious problem to a scientific problem, because he said we can eliminate religion if we eliminate guilt as a religious problem. That's right. And he said we must take it away from the clergy and give it to scientific practitioners. Well, in that case, we should really blame Hitler's parents. Yes. Because of traumatic experiences in his childhood. Yes. And he is not guilty of any crime, mm -hmm. particularly because he simply had a sickness. Yes. Now, the second great step, Freud's was the first, was Durkheim in his Rules of Sociological Method, which is still used and is a part of the training of students in universities. And he has a chapter there on the criminal. And his thesis is that the criminal is an evolutionary pioneer. There are ideas of good and evil, right and wrong, are a product not of science, but of religion, of myth, of superstition. And the uh, criminal is a free spirit who keeps testing the practices of our forefathers to see what new directions mankind can take. And therefore, while very often he is a social deviate, nonetheless he is a deviate who is probing the future of human conduct and therefore is an evolutionary pioneer. Well, Durkheim also remarked, I think in passing, that there was no such thing as a, as a society without a religion. Uh, none could be discovered. Yes. Well, and that was an historical observation. That's right. And I could add to that that no society has ever survived the loss of its religion. Yes. And that's equally historically valid. Mm -hmm. Well, the whole business, going back to uh, that definition of criminality that I tried out, if we're talking as a criminal personality, the individual who uh, doesn't believe in the inherent rights of others, we will have to then include people like the social scientists who use experiments on human beings mm -hmm. because no human being has a right to be the subject of an experiment. Yes. We have the remarkable exhibition here of the medical profession which will not accept a drug until it has a clinical experiment in which half the patients are given the placebo and half the patients are given the new drug. Even though the drug may have been tried out in France or in England or in some other highly civilized country and proven to be effective, they will condemn half the test group to no treatment at all in order to re-verify something that has already been proven. Possibly proven. Let me qualify that. Very often it may be valid, but these various bureaucracies know themselves fairly well and they therefore distrust other bureaucracies. Well, then why should we distrust ours? Why should we trust ours? Good question. Good question. I mean, if there's no trust in the world, what there are we isn't. talking about? Increasingly, there isn't. They don't trust one another. They don't trust the results of anybody else. 
They don't trust any results except their own. Well, what can be said about such a profession? <laughs> well, it tells us what's happening in our society. Consider all the scientific experiments that are proven to be fraudulent regularly. Isn't and that crime? Wouldn't you say that would be a crime? Yes, but uh, the you, state does not so Wouldn't see you it. say that a fraud which misleads society is as serious a crime as a, as a fraud which merely takes a few dollars from somebody? Yes, it's a form of theft. It's destructive of, of the social order. Yes, very destructive. And we are reaching the point where increasingly it is impossible to feel anything but distrustful of one agency after another. That's a terrible commentary. Yeah. Because that means that what you're saying now is that taking crime as the uh, <clears throat> epitome of corruption, individual mm -hmm. corruption, to violate the law. Now, we're not talking, of course, about these regulations that you mentioned, which cover us like cobweb strands all the time. But basic fundamental laws, theft, fraud, murder, etc., that the corruption also has extended into the private sector to the point where uh, integrity and ethics have dwindled to the point where a professional group does not trust another professional group or a, a scientist cannot trust any other scientist. Yes. Well, this is what's happening. I have someone a few years back in Washington tell me, and it was uh, quite a startling statement. And he said, I probably think less of the Internal Revenue Service than you do, but I want to tell you it is probably the most efficient and most trustworthy operation conducted by the federal government. And that's not saying it is honest all the way through. Well, you can't call them up and get a straight answer. <laughs> well, who gives a straight answer this in this day and age? Otto, I'd like to call attention to uh, something that I've uh, mentioned before uh, on other occasions. The perspective of Qaddafi, an Arab leader. I have a soft brought uh, in my heart for him. You're unique. Yes, probably. <clears throat> but uh, I think Qaddafi, uh, for all his very serious faults and sins, is far ahead of great many other world leaders. His Green Book, while amateurish in much of its writing, is still a very remarkable work. But he says something in that Green Book and has said it on a number of occasions. Restated it in a New Year's message to the various countries and rulers, including Reagan. And it was this. He said the Western world was destroying the whole globe. Because the Christian nations, who were the leaders of civilization, had departed from their faith and had secularized law and had taken away the real moral sanctions behind human behavior, the fact that God says thou shalt not, 
Men now had no moral uh, absolutes. All they had was the constantly changing word of the state. And the word of the state has no moral authority in the life of man. And he said, as a result, the Western world has unleashed a tide of lawlessness on the world which is without precedent in all of history. And it is going to destroy the whole of humanity. So in his uh, messages for some years, he was appealing to the heads of state in the Western world and saying, go back to your Jesus. Well, the Soviet Union cut loose in modern times completely. And the Soviet Union has unleashed uh, a regular satanic wave of murder, torture, subversion, and so forth around the world. So I think Gaddafi could have selected a better ta uh, target than the West. He included... Uh, he included the Soviet oh, Union yes, in the West. Emphatically, he, he mentioned them definitely. Okay, well, all right. Then, the, uh, their, the apostasy of the West, if you want to use that word, isn't really so old. The French Revolution will be 200 years mm -hmm. old next year, which is just on the horizon. And that was the second time that a government had arisen which was uh, disrespectful of God. We were the first. We put up a government which gave no recognition to a higher power than itself. And I maintain that that was a central uh, failure of our Constitution. The French revolutionaries went the next step and declared war against God and set up an, uh, a state in which religion was to play no part whatever. When Robespierre, uh, bad as he was, began to realize that this was an impossible imposition and he tried to set up what he called, I believe, the supreme being or something of that sort and he had a festival for it and whatnot. He, he drew back from the brink. And then, of course, later on, Napoleon tried to put the omelet back into the eggs, which is very difficult to do. France has never recovered in, in any event. Uh, I noticed with interest in England that new laws, the new educational reform, includes the fact that there must be more Christian instruction in the schools and it must be Christian. Now, that's because they have an official church and they therefore had the official position already established in law to put religion into the schools. And if they put it into the schools as the Thatcher uh, regime would like to see it, there will be more religion in the schools and in the churches of England which are in a sorry state. That's true, but at any rate it yeah. It's an effort in the right direction. Now, our, we're going in the opposite direction, yes. and we're proving the uh, truth, I think, of what Gaddafi said. On the other hand, you have the growth of the Christian school movement, you have the home school movement, you have the very fact that the word Christian, which 20 years ago no one used, everything was denominational uh, identification, uh, the word Christian is now... Uh, 
a valid word. And that means the Christian community is coming back. The, that means that the whole idea of sin is coming back. You refer to the fact that our de-Christianization in the Western world is not too old, goes back only to the French Revolution. And one could say that in the United States it goes back, according to Nesbitt, to World War One. However, we have to say this, Otto, uh, a fish can live a long time in water, and out of water it starts stinking quickly. And we can have uh, 70, 80, 90 years of good life, but in a couple of days dead, we stink. And the same is true of societies. Uh, as long as they're alive with a Christian faith, they have a vitality and a freedom and a health. But once they abandon it, they are dead and they start stinking. They have crime. They have all kinds of evil. And the law-abiding population can often be on thin ice, uh, whereas the lawless will be uh, anti-law. They will be outlaws. Consider the kind of thing that prevails in Congress today. They can commit offenses that send members of the administration to prison, as you've often pointed out, but they themselves are immune and they can censoriously condemn uh, the non-congressional members for what they routinely do. Well, of course, the very fact that the country has sat down and let, allowed Congress to exempt its members from obeying the laws it enacts for the rest of the people shows you how much of an intellectual and spiritual and moral decline has been underway because formerly the people would have risen up. The courts would have been forced to confront that and the people themselves would have voted out of office an entire Congress that exempted itself from the law because it's obvious that this is against the spirit of the Constitution. The idea that in this republic any group of men do not have to obey a federal law mm -hmm. is inherently ridiculous and unjust. But so far as I know, there has never been a finger lifted to do anything about it. Well, what has happened is that because we've left, we have abandoned God's law, we are creating laws which are uh, crazy and which are supposedly going to save society. All right. Before I came here tonight, I was reading a copy of an animal liberation magazine and their drive is going to be to pass laws requiring the neutering of all domestic animals. And they include cats and dogs, cows, everything. Every kind of domestic animal. Well, then how will the animals reproduce? That's their goal. They're going to liberate them by ending all reproduction and they will be freed from bondage to men. I don't see how that follows. 
<laughs> makes no sense. Because oh, you and course. I just came back from Baltimore, remember? And I read in the paper before we left in the Baltimore Sun that some animal rights people had liberated some lobsters in a local restaurant. Yes, yes Dorothy saw that on television. <laughs> yes, well, you're asking the insane to make sense. Oh, and perhaps I was reading between the lines, but I've turned to another article that was dealing with human overpopulation. And uh, I would gather that the next step will be the neutering of all people. Well, the population <laughs> control is going and destroying the young. Well, they feel that we are unnatural. We have followed unnatural ways, and therefore we are destroying the environment. And apparently we should be eliminated. Well, uh Apparently so. The <laughs> the ruling uh, legalizing abortion was interesting. It was it was based on perjured testimony. It overthrew two. It overthrew what was it? Twenty centuries of Christianity. Yes. Twenty centuries. All of a sudden, what had been illegal and immoral was legal and moral. Now, I understand the, uh, the amount of abortions have reached something like 24 million. If those 24 million had lived to be between the ages of 20 and 30, uh, we would assume that they would have produced 40 million children. And that 40 million in another 30 or 40 years would have produced another 80 million. So in the year 2050, we would have had 120 million more people in this country and worries about the solvency of the Social Security system would have been ridiculous because there have been plenty of young people to take care of the old. Instead, they have in set an imbalance in the population. The, the proportion of the elderly is rising, not because there are more of them, but because the young are being murdered. Yes, and uh, it has been estimated that at the present rate of... Uh, population decline, all countries in the Western world will uh, see a dramatic drop by 2010 to 2015, not too many years away. Germany will have half the people it does today. Be like France. Yes, and the United States will have a significant decline in population. Well, we can bring in uh, people of the... Uh in, in their prime years from other races and other lands and other climes. Except those nations are now instituting mandatory uh, neutering uh, or sterilization in many cases, as in India, as in China, where the girl babies are being killed because there's only one baby per family allowed. Well, it's race suicide. Yes racial suicide of course and I suppose if you want to go back to the sin and the crime uh, crime and sin are interconnected because a lot of the crime we're told today is for the drugs now the whole drug thing is, is greatly underestimated in terms of crime because I can recall prohibition and so can you when the gang wars of Chicago and New York and so forth and Detroit were headlined, but the gang wars were the least of the evil effects 
of that situation. It was the corruption of the police, the corruption of the courts, the corruption of the elected officials, the corruption of the bureaucracy. Uh, while an entire liquor industry operated, the, uh, the great, wonderful multimillionaires of Canada got their money from feeding drugs, feeding booze into the United States during Prohibition. And I, I'm often amused when I read their indignant and highly moral statements about various situations today when I reflect upon the source of their wealth and their character. But at any rate, it was the corruption that Prohibition caused that was worse than the crime. It's the corruption that the drug industry has brought in its train. And of course, each one of these poor people that are addicted are in the grip of a sin. They're, what do you call it? Gluttony? Gluttony. It's the sin of gluttony. I heard someone remark not too long ago uh, who knew Chicago well that compared to what Chicago is today the days of Al Capone were days of law and order innocence yes it's so bad now and the sums of money I wonder where the IRS is with all its efficiency mm -hmm. when you hear of the sums of money that are involved yes and you know that the bank transactions are a matter now of record. How can this kind of money move around without the authorities knowing about it and keeping track of it? Very good question. I don't know the answer. Well, let's take another question on the question of high crimes and misdemeanors, as they say in the uh, law books. Hamilton Fish who's going to be a hundred years old pretty soon and I interviewed him he was in his 90s and a fantastic man fabulous said isn't it strange that all these billions of dollars have flowed out of the United States and there's never been a hearing to see whether or not the banker's nephew had anything to do with it <laughs> there's never even been a congressional hearing on who handled these vast sums of money which have flowed all over the world. Hamilton Fish's grandfather, wasn't it, who was associated with George Washington? Oh, yes, all the way back. Uh, his, uh, I three generations, isn't it? Yes. Of very, very great and marvelous service to the United States. And they've dropped out of sight because Roosevelt found Hamilton Fish uh, to be a roadblock and since then the Fish family has been non-persons. Well Hamilton Fish had a uh, was officered a Negro regiment, yeah. black regiment in World War One mm -hmm. and was one of the heroes of the black community yes. until the Roosevelt until he broke with Franklin Roosevelt and the minute he broke with Franklin Roosevelt he was labeled a racist. Yes. It's sad that his grandson now is a liberal. Well, he's apparently a, a radical. Oh. Apparently, uh, I think Hamilton Fish could live with a liberal. He wouldn't agree with him, but he could live with him. But uh, a radical all the way over. His he's, son is, is a liberal. His grandson's a radical. And he's disowned him, hasn't he? I think he old is, man. yes. But it's a very good question because the enormity of the sums involved 
mean that if some individual had taken a tenth of one percent, it would still be a very large sum of money. Fiscal responsibility. Well, we, we get into the, what do you suppose the United States will do about the fact that uh, it has lost its constitutional right to be physically safe as a citizen of the country? I mean, Mr. Bush campaigned against crime and against drugs, and Dukakis insisted that he was no friend of uh, the drug business. Well, Reagan campaigned against crime and drugs, and so did uh, Jimmy Carter. At election time, everybody is anti-crime. Yes, they're off for law and order when they're running for office, but yeah. I wonder if there's any real effort in mind. I can recall two instances, one from my own time and one from Napoleon. Disorder racked Venezuela. They had a, an elected, they elected a novelist president, and it was a free election, I believe. And the Acción Democrática, Action, Democratic Action Party, and there was all kinds of disorder broke out. There were lootings of the uh, better homes. Uh, my stepmother said she saw. Uh, a fellow going down the street wearing uh, the hat of a general <laughs> and uh, carrying some articles in his hand. And it was the city of Caracas was unsafe at night and partly unsafe in the daytime and so forth. And then there was an overthrow of the government by the military, which of course is always regarded here as a terrible calamity. And Perez Jimenez became dictator. And Perez Jimenez stationed a soldier at every intersection in the city, armed with bullets, with orders to shoot to kill at any, any disorder whatever, and to leave the body in the street for 12 hours, as an example. And within 48 hours, the city was like a garden. I don't think there were more than seven or eight shots, a few who, who went out to sea. And from then on, there was no disorder. The other example is from Napoleon. Disorders continued in France, throughout France, by those who had uh, taken advantage of the revolution to lead a disorderly life and to have assume authority and so forth. Finally, Napoleon told the army, told his advisors that he was going to stop it. And he would have the army suppress it. And they said, what about the the Jacobins and he said who are they which of course was a joke because they he was one of their protégés and they had put him in power and he, they said so he said well the party that put you where you are well he said that's not true he said the, the truth of the matter is that France had no government France was being ruled by women now France has a government again and the French will obey and the army was sent to every area and asked the citizens to report the troublemakers. The citizens pointed out the troublemakers and there was a drumhead trial and those found guilty were shot at once. 
something like three or four hundred were shot throughout the whole country of France, and that ended all internal disorder for a full generation. Now, what sort of government do we have which hasn't the which hasn't the nerve to do anything about the horrible slums, about the fact that New Yorkers cannot go to Harlem and be physically safe? Yes. And other cities have similar areas, which the police know, mm -hmm. which the government knows about, and which nothing is done about. Yes. Well, the wages of sin are always death, according to Scripture. Death for men and death for societies. And the only alternative is a return to Christ, a return to Christian faith. And I don't see any change possible for this country without that. I do believe that change is underway. But we have a growing criminal class that uh, is being coddled. It is not being dealt with as it should be. One of the things that a uh, police official told me years ago was that uh, when the criminal population of a community or a society reaches 2%, the situation is out of hand. You don't have enough police to cope with it. Mm. And it has reached that. Now, one reason for that is that so many criminals who, before World War II, were executed are now out in seven years. Murderers, for example. And we are giving a license to kill. That was an issue in the uh, recent presidential campaign, the Willie Horton case. The, the furloughs, yes. Yes, the furloughs. And uh, that hasn't stopped the furloughs. They are continuing, and I doubt we'll hear anything more about it. I'll be very surprised if we do. But uh, with the furlough program, you have hardened criminals who know that executions are rare, and therefore they feel free to commit crimes because they're going to be on the streets before too long. Well, as you know, I've talked about this recently, and I've thought about it also, and I th we have here a very strange paradox where the courts have enlarged their authority to interfere with the private lives of all the citizens mm -hmm. of the country, where we live, who we live among, what we think, and so forth, far beyond any constitutional restriction. At the same time, the same courts have presided over an escalation of crime, which has now burst the limits of control, as you say. So, on the one hand, the judges are exercising unprecedented authority, and on the other hand, they're not exercising their traditional duty. Now, what's the answer? And my, my answer at this point was that when the President of the United States term is limited to eight years, it seems to me ridiculous and archaic that the judges on the federal bench should be appointed for life. I agree. I think they should be limited, as I say, 12 years. Mm -hmm. And those who have already served 12 years should be retired with healthy pensions because 
this is a rich country and we could afford to pay them off, we would lose some good ones, but it would be well worth losing the rest. And we should appoint new judges. One term, 12 years, period. Let's do something. Let's change the people who are failing in their obligation to the nation. Let's get rid of these parasites, these liberal judges who feel that, for, for instance, that judge in, who ruled in White Plains. This county, this town of White Plains accepted the idea of a housing project. They had no objections, whatever. But he wanted to put it in the middle of their best residential section. Now, a man like that does not deserve authority over citizens of this country. Yes. Not in his neighborhood, however. Oh, of course not in his yes. neighborhood. So yes. I think we should change the judges. Yes. Just as we should change Congress on the same terms. Yes. Well, I referred earlier to the uh, poster I received today. Yes. About. I'm uh, greatly relieved to hear that I don't have to uh, <laughs> pass a. <laughs> It had never occurred to me. Now the idea has been planted in my head. <laughs> All right. What can I take? Extra pens. <laughs> now, I am sure that if anybody violates that federal directive, any employer anywhere from coast to coast, even if it's a one or two employee establishment, they will be punished by the federal government far more readily than murderers and bank robbers are punished. Well, apparently so. The middle class is severely treated. The middle class citizen is very severely treated. There is no excuse. No. Well, our time is running out, Otto. Do you want to take about a minute to conclude with a summary statement? Well, I think despite the horrendous nature of the situation, this conversation is on a more realistic level today than it would have been 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think that drastic situations have a tendency to uh, provoke drastic remedies. I don't think the American people are any different from any other population. I think that there is a limit to their tolerance. This is a great, decent, and tolerant population, but there are limits to what it will put up with. Yes. And when this country swings, it swings far and fast. Now, we either, either our government will pull its socks up and begin to handle some of these problems, which it's supposed to handle, or there will be basic changes in the people in our government. Mm -hmm. I'm sure of it. Yes. Well, let me add that in Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 1, uh, some years ago, I wrote against lie detector tests and pointed out why they were morally unsound. So, uh, <laughs> we have no lie detector tests in Calcedon's future. Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you all. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.